Welcome to the Genealogy Happy Hour, a place where new family historians can learn to document their family histories and celebrate their new discoveries. I'm Amy. And I'm Penny. And we're here to help you discover your family tree from the beginning. Welcome to episode 54. Today we're going to be discussing searching for female ancestors. But before we begin, Penny, what wine do we have today? Well, it's summer, it's hot, and we like rosé in the summer. Uh, if you've been listening to us for a while, you know that. So this month we have a, from the Cote de Provence, a Dumas Bouchard from 2018. And did you love how I just throughout my French. I was very impressed. Very impressed. Um, (laughs) So that is really uh, Domaine, D-O-M-A-I-N-E, Hochard, H-O-U-C-H-A-R-T, and it is a 90 points. And the description on wine enthusiasts was good, so I thought I'd throw that out there. And it uh, says it's a classic blend, is full and ripe with a touch of caramel as well as raspberry flavors. And who doesn't love caramel and raspberry? So it's delicious, and it's hot here in Florida, so it's good. It's good for summer. Definitely always go to a rosé in the summer, for Mm -hmm. sure. Mm -hmm. For sure. All right, well, today we're going to be discussing uh, researching our female ancestors, which can be challenging uh, at times. And uh, joining us in our discussion today is Lisa Listen uh, from the blog, Are You My Cousin?, yeah, and Lisa also has a YouTube channel where she has a, a variety of uh, videos on different genealogical topics and a great website, Are You My Cousin, her blog, and um, yeah, so she's going to jump in here and talk to us. Well, welcome, uh, Lisa, to our little podcast here, and um, really appreciate you joining us. Oh, well, thank you for having me. I've really been looking forward to talking with you guys and talking about one of my favorite genealogy topics. The, the women in our families, right? Women, yes. Finding those female ancestors. All right. So, well, let's just jump into it. What are some of the reasons, what are some of the reasons that we cannot find these women? Well, certainly I think part of the reason is, you know, they didn't necessarily create a lot of their own records. We don't have to go that far back in history when women really were not creating that many of their formal records. So we're not finding as many of them in the records. And then you throw in a few name changes. So if one of our ancestors got married and she took up her husband's name, so she has another name. But then think about what happened if that husband, that first husband passed away. And maybe she remarried again. So you could easily come up with two or three or even more surnames for a female. And it's very, it's tricky sometimes. It's easy to lose track of that ancestor in the records when she's, if, if you don't find all the husbands, you don't find all the names that she was using. So it can be a little tricky sometimes. I think even uh, also going back, like you said, pre-1850, when the census only lists the head of household, Absolutely. makes it even more difficult. Absolutely. Unless we're, unless we're lucky and maybe she was widowed at that point and then her name would be listed mm-hmm. as the head of household. Right, right. So one, so one of the things that um, Penny and I love to do is roll up our sleeves and do some on-site courthouse research. But mm-hmm. when you do that for your female ancestors, you shouldn't really be always. You need to look for their names, but whose records will they will we find them in? 
Well, you typically, so you definitely, you, know, you want to look for their names, but then you really kind of want to shift your focus. And I like to look for their husbands and look mm-hmm. for their fathers or even their brothers, because sometimes what we find is we find those female ancestors in the records of her male a prominent male in her life. Now, typically, we think of that as being a husband if she's married. So she could potentially be named in a land record, in a in a will, in an estate record. Certainly, we would think about um, marriage records, those types of records. Um, I can also find evidence. I think we found we find them sometimes in evidence of a parent's will, and sometimes you'll find that married name thrown in that parent's will if she has already married or had children at that point. So we have to kind of look at those men who were in her life and research around them. To be honest, sometimes I just kind of have to make an educated, shall I say, guess as to maybe a potential husband or a potential father, and then I'll just research him out Mm -hmm. to to determine, is he or is he not part of her family? Hmm. Agree, agree. Um, So, and it's also um, the social history Mm-hmm. It's important to female ancestors. Why do you why do you think it's so important in researching them? Oh, I love social history. It's so important because our because even though our female ancestors were not necessarily creating a lot of what I call formal records, you know, such as in the courts and you know, wills and those types of things, they were absolutely living their lives. They were creating. They were creating their own footprint, so to speak, within their communities. So you can find evidence of them um, as the communicators in the family. So they very well might be the letter writers of the family. They might be the ones who kept the family Bible. They might be the ones who kept the photographs. So these really aren't going to appear in those courthouse records, but they might appear in special collections at at an archives site or a digital archive site. They might be within family records. Sometimes you find them in um, small local museums. I have found evidence there of those types of records. You can even find evidence of your ancestors. I love this one, the female ancestors, in cookbooks, so community cookbooks. Have you ever thought that they might be there? Because think about that. Now, I research in the South. I know you guys do too. And so a lot of the little local churches, the world would have created small church cookbooks and it was basically a fundraiser typically and it was a way to um create a cookbook it was a way to create you know then maybe they were trying to earn money for um something at the church or something for missionaries it could have been a community type cookbook and so it all the women would donate or contribute a recipe well now you know, they didn't have to, I suppose, but, you know, think about it. If you're a woman in an organization, would you not donate or contribute a recipe? Because if you didn't, what would the other women think about you? <laughs> would they think that you're not a very good cook? Right. Would they yeah. think that you're not a good housekeeper? And at that time, that was important. Could have been very important. And so you can find evidence of the women in those for those organizations. And so the cookbook can and sometimes actually almost act like a, a roster for an organization, for a church, for a church women's group. Um, and these are not, we think of these as modern records, and I think they are in, in some respects for um, these church cookbooks or these community cookbooks, but I have found church cookbooks well back into the 1800s over on Google Books. And it's a wonderful way to document a woman's place. 
and you can find sometimes multiple generations of women within the same um, cookbook. That's a so that idea. yeah, that's a wonderful suggestion. It reminds me uh, when you were talking about that because the women, I mean, that was your you know badge of honor was you had to be, you know women were expected to be good cooks and it's a sort of a family pride type of thing um i have um my grandmother and great-grandmother were members of um the community women's club and mm -hmm. oftentimes and in those they published i think once a year a little um annual book and it just mentions has my grandmother just mentioned briefly but something that you know she always brought i don't know whatever dish it was to um their meetings or she always provided this and so you get those little just you know one or two sentences but it does help enrich your understanding of your female ancestor through those so that's a great great idea look through those special collections in the local county um, mm -hmm. libraries or colleges they might have yeah. Okay. Oh, I just said because when you know what if it was a community group, if you know if it was a specific church that your ancestors lived in or participating in, in essence, you can start to understand a little bit about what their um, what their beliefs were, whether it was religious or what was, what types of causes could have been important to them, and so that was just another way to to build those records and to and some of those organizations kept other records. Church records certainly, but some church, but some of these other community community organizations like temperance societies back in the early 1900s, they had their own rosters. They would have kept their own records mm -hmm. that you could delve into. Yeah, that's a great idea. I was just thinking at the beginning when you were talking about letters. Um, I just had a letter, a desperate to find somebody to translate because it's all in. Well, I thought French, but it's kind of like a low German because it's from the Alsace region in the uh, late 40s mm -hmm. from a cousin to my grandmother and her sisters. And you know, I thought, oh, maybe, you know, you're always hoping there's going to be a little snippet of something in there um, for your research, but there wasn't. But it uh, it did have a lot of, um, it had to be around Christmas that it was written and or after Christmas, and they were talking about the gifts that were sent and the skirts and you know, like they were oh she's wearing this skirt that you know and it was really neat to see like what they would have sent back to the old country you know to their um cousins back there to, yeah a little little snippet of life yeah. exactly that snippet of life. that's interesting that for them that that was something unique that they thought to send that send back mm -hmm. like it kind of you know gives gives a little personality but it does make you wonder maybe what was unique if it was something unique about the skirts or yeah what the reasoning was why why they chose that the, those particular skirts to send yeah. back yeah yeah um so. you are also you also um collect um oral history i believe mm -hmm. and um i think going along with the women who are the, they're the storytellers, they're the ones who pass on the, the information in the families. I know that's so true in my family. Uh, I, um, I did record um, several conversations that my mother had with her sister, with my great aunt. And when I ask the men in the family, the same types of questions, I don't get too much. <laughs> so can you talk a little bit about why it's so important to collect those oral histories and, and what those bring to our research? Oh, sure, sure. Oral history, uh, you're right, they are so important, and you do get such a different perspective sometimes, the same story from, from, from different people in the family. But these oral histories are, are, are critical because they often will contain information that we cannot possibly get from a formal record. 
it gives us a glimpse into perhaps our ancestors' motivation or their thought process for why why they moved. Um, I have encountered, I know in some of my research, name changes. And I couldn't figure out for the longest time, I could never connect these. And finally somebody said, the ans- my um, grandmother told me, she's like, oh, well, he didn't like his name, so he just changed it. There was no rhyme or reason to it. There's no formality to it. It was a time when he didn't have to, wouldn't have had to have done it, just simply used it. She goes, I don't know, she said, but he didn't like his name, so he just decided to go by something else. It, and there wasn't anything, you know, he wasn't hiding from the law, you know, all the things that go through your mind. <laughs> it was, so it spoke to the motivation, but it also bridged, obviously bridged a gap where there were no formal records to indicate um, why that had happened. And of course, most of the trees out there indicate that the two men are different. And once, you know, I'm the only one out there who's telling them, no, 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 they're the same person mm-hmm. um, yep. type thing. So, yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah, I'm trying to convince everybody else that you're right, and <laughs> that's always hard. I know, that's but hard. that oral history definitely, it, it really does kind of help speak to um, the motivation of what people do, or just little things um, that you can discover, such as um, oral history, where the family cemetery is, where an old family cemetery is. You can discover, th- you know, children who may have passed away young, you may discover the evidence of them within those stories if right. they were between census years, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so let's go to the census. In the, I mentioned the 1850 census before, you know, looking for women before and after. What kind of tips do you have for looking for them before the 1850s? Before the 1850s, do the math. <laughs> you have to do the math. Um, yes, we can't escape our math. But it's not hard math. It's just simple addition and subtraction. So when I um, get, you have to, because they may not be listed, they just may be a tick mark or a number in a category. When I find a, a household, whether it's, if she, I think she might be in her husband's household or if I think that she could might still be in her father's household at that point, then I actually will calculate out the map and take the, and try to build the family out and identify who each of those tick marks it, um, represents. So, you know, if it says there's a one female um, under 10 years of age, well, do I know who that is? Could that be her, depending on what her age was? And I, I try to go through those categories and match up names and dates the best I can. Um, so in, in using those date ranges, that's usually what I will do and then try to follow it forward to see if things match up. You know, you still have to use those other records to support it, but if you can have a consistency or not moving through those early census records, then hopefully by the time you hit the 1850, it will match up with what you've, you've seen before. Um, so it, it's tricky. Uh, there, there's no absolutes there. Usually I use that as a support for other records mm-hmm. and just say, okay, yes, she, this is consistent with, you know, the theory that she would be in her father's household at this point. And yes, he does have a child, a female child at this age, mm-hmm. but there's no way to tell directly without using other records that that's who that is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And it, it could also help you narrow down a possible when she, she, when she died, because it's so hard to find death dates sometimes for those women that who died before 1850. So if, if, you, if you see someone in the, the female in the household in 1840, then you know, okay, well, she had to die in that 10 year period there. 
Right, right. To kind of see when somebody shows up or when they fall mm-hmm. out of the, mm-hmm. off, the, off the census record. You're, right. you're absolutely. What are some of the most unusual places that we may not think of to look um, for female ancestors? We talked about the cookbooks and the clubs. Mm-hmm. Anything else? I use a lot of church history records or church, like church directories and small mm-hmm. histories. And some of those are very local, very, you know, oftentimes I, I find those really at the very local level of the church itself or the local library. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll use those because they're just those little publications. They're local. They're not right. You know, published that you can find. The other place that I like to look when I research, and I know we talked about going on site is that I'll always try to make time to go to the library, the local library, and see if they have vertical files available. Because mm-hmm. vertical files are kind of like a um, catch-all, I mm-hmm. guess, sometimes, for a variety of information. And so I like to go through the vertical files because you can find all kinds of things mm-hmm. in those things that you would think. Everything from newspaper clippings to handwritten letters to old researchers' notes to... Um, I've seen city directories in those. I've seen postcards. I've seen you know, uh, church rosters in those things. So I like to make sure I use those um, and check those out to make sure I'm not missing anything mm-hmm. there. Because, again, those are not going to show up on any kind of formal record that you can Google or that you can search. You just pretty much have to put your eyes on those type of thing. So those are some really interesting things to look at. And I think getting into, you know, really, I like to use city directories to, to learn what, what types of organizations are in a, in a community. So if there's a temperance society, then I can maybe try to pursue those records. Or maybe, you know, what about the Red Cross? What, you know, with, you have nurses or somebody who was part of the Red Cross. If you do, those, those records for your female ancestors are fabulous they are have a lot of detail in them um so those are a really good resource to use as well that's great putting again putting your ancestor in the historical context and understanding the community in which they lived then you Mm -hmm. can start understanding where uh, how they might have participated within the community and then look for those records right yeah those are some great sources and i know amy and i got to jump into some of those vertical files when we did our trip our last trip up to New Jersey and Connecticut. We That's right, and, and it was through those vertical record, those vertical files, that I found out that I'm related to Christopher Reeves, Superman. That's wow. There was an article in one of those files that, that kind of talked about his ancestry and we have a common ancestor. So, yeah, you never know what you're going to find in those vertical files. Yeah. And his eye point. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's really. It really is amazing. Most people don't even think about a vertical files, mm-hmm. but um, state yeah. libraries will have them. Oftentimes, local libraries have them. Genealogical uh-huh. historical societies have them. Mm-hmm. Um, I just have kind of gotten in the habit now that I just always ask because mm-hmm. I want to make sure I'm not missing sure. something. And I always encourage I encourage people to you know if they have written up their their research if they have research to donate a copy to the local library wherever that research had had taken them because. Um, you know, we need to share our information with future researchers. So, mm-hmm. and that type of donation would end up probably in a vertical file. Yes. Unless, unless it's published. And, and, uh, that's a great idea. That's actually a very good idea. Yeah. Uh, I think the last question we were talking about was um, using children to, mm-hmm. or discussion topic question, um, using children to find their, their mother or, Yeah. 
Right. So a lot of t sometimes you can find when you can't find the, the the mother herself, you can use the children's records. I think you know the first thing that we think of would be like a birth record, or the, the mother's going to be listed in a baptism record. Um, if if you're looking at a baptism or a christening record, you might find evidence of godparents being named, which could give you some collateral ancestors as well. I've even gone back and so. Well, we never skip a generation of genealogy research. If I have a female that I suspect died young or left and left young children, I will sort of extrapolate to see if I can find the, the children listed in grandparents' records, um, like a will or an estate type thing that would name all three mm -hmm. generations there. So that that's one way I do it. But the other thing would be to follow those children out because while a female may not, maybe she died and they weren't keeping death certificates at that point. But what if her children, when they passed away, they may be, they may actually have a death certificate. They would have been much later and had a death certificate. And so you can find her name, even though she would have died many years earlier, you would hopefully find her name listed on a child's um, death certificate, per se, that way. Um, I've also used, I have found evidence for, my, for an immigrant ancestor who came over um, so the ancestor actually died back at, I'd say, 1915 or so. But when I followed her children out in through the census records, the, where they talk about the, pl the place of the parent's birth on the census records, those later ones, so I think in 1930, it actually mentioned the village in the old Russian Empire <laughs> where the woman had been born. You got lucky. So, yeah, totally took me by. That was a ha genealogy happy dance moment because <laughs> I was like, okay, this is mm -hmm. this is really good stuff because I, at that point I, I didn't know. You know, they had come from the Russian Empire. It was all I knew, mm -hmm. and I didn't know where. Yeah. And so now I do. Wow. That's fantastic. Yeah. So, so I think it's it, it's sort of whether it's the shifting your angle to the men in her life or the children – Anybody who is important to your female ancestor, quite frankly, is important to us as genealogy researchers. And so True. sometimes we have to research out those other folks first mm -hmm. before we can find that little clue that's hidden in their records um, to our female ancestor. Right. Absolutely. Good, good point. Absolutely. Yeah, oftentimes we'll see them the the as a widow, perhaps living with one of their children, um, mm -hmm. and so that's even before the 1880 census when you don't have those relationships listed. That's a good clue as to that person, that woman is is more than likely the mama. Yeah. So in those family groups. Yeah, I had uh, uh, just recently been searching for one of my ancestors that Amy told me I needed to do a little better job of digging deeper. And I found a piece of paper. It was the backside of a newspaper ad that I don't know how the backside was empty, but it was. And someone uh, had written out all this history. And it, I realized it was from either 1939 or 1940, just by pricing out some of the things that were on the ad on the backside. I could tell when it was. And the location was a city that I knew that um, my great-great-grandfather was at. And that one also had some of the women's names listed with their maiden names that had married in. And I was like, huzzah! <laughs> so once, you can, yeah, once I could see that, I could then research it and then find proof that, that yes, that was, that was true. That, that, is, uh, that was a married, married name for this person. So had I not, yeah, had I not had that? And, you know, it was great. It was just in an old envelope that my dad had given me, and I guess I'd never opened it until just this past, 
a couple weeks. Oh wow! Yeah, this yeah. sometimes is unusual things like that that sometimes you get handed a bunch of things and you kind of glance, but then you don't really. At the time, you could have read it at the time and not even known. You know, it doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. register mm-hmm. and until you you know go back, have a little more background to somebody. Yeah. To- yep. Absolutely. Those clues aren't, aren't clues until there's context. And like you said, you could mm-hmm. miss it or see it the first time. It doesn't mean anything to you. And as you go, your research continues, you go back, you know, always go back and, and look at those, um, those documents again and new things pop out. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that's cool. Always go back. Yeah, that's cool. Well, Lisa, thank you so much for joining us and talking about researching female ancestors. Mm-hmm. Well, thank, you. thank you for having me. Yeah. I hope everybody out there is, well, you know, try some of these uh, tactics and have some luck. And I know I'm going to be looking for recipe books because I love that idea. Yeah. <laughs> Fabulous. Yep. Check Google Books. <laughs> Google Books is great. Yeah. You can. You guess you can. You can find a lot of good stuff in, in Google Books for sure. Yeah. So, and, and uh, we want everyone to um, visit um, Lisa's blog, Are You My Cousin, and her website. And, uh, and for, her YouTube channel. And, and her YouTube channel. For more tips. She's got some great videos out there. To, um, she's she's uh, sharing her knowledge and uh, useful information and tips on those. So, check those out. And we'll have, uh, we'll have links, Penny, on our um, website. Yes. Our blog. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Good. All right. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Lisa. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening. Please email us with any questions or comments at genealogyhappyhour at gmail.com. Visit our website, www.genealogyhappyhour.com, for additional resources, books, and wines. Don't forget to drink responsibly. And never drink around genealogical documents.